I want to read from Hebrews chapter 5 and moving into Hebrews chapter 6. Um, it's been so long that maybe a little word of review here is in order uh, about the situation of the Hebrew Christians. These are, are Jewish Christians, or at least it's a predominantly Jewish congregation, uh, who has converted to Christianity. And they've been Christians for some time, so far as we can tell, several decades. But they're getting discouraged, and they're starting to question some of the fundamental doctrines of the faith, and they're starting to wonder about who Jesus is, and for some reasons they're, they're, they're discouraged about a lot of things, and they're beginning to come under persecution, and they're not sure that they want to go through with it. In other words, they're Christians who are beginning to get cold feet. So the, the author has been warning them in some rather strong ways uh, throughout this book, uh, and we're now coming into another one of these warnings. Uh, it will really get hot in about two weeks. You'll see. But here he's starting to be quite confrontational. A word of warning about the Word of God, and that is that this is not a safe book, okay? If, if you're looking for safety, stay away from this book because uh, it's not safe. God is just not politically correct, and so he says things like they are, and they, that can be kind of confrontational. And my job is to try to say it like he said it, so I can be kind of confrontational, and all that is to say that this is confrontational. All right, get your helmets on. Starting with verse 11, the author has just told the Hebrew Christians that, he, he, we spent most of the summer on this, he was talking about how Jesus, though he was the son of God, yet he had to learn obedience by the things which he suffered. And what he's really saying there is that if Christ suffered and had to learn obedience, and he was the perfect God-man, how much more should we, who are imperfect and are certainly not God, how much more should we expect to suffer and learn obedience in that suffering? It's a theme that reoccurs throughout the book of Hebrews. And then he says this, starting in verse 11. About this, this referring to Jesus Christ and this referring to Jesus' suffering. Okay, that whole center of the faith about Jesus Christ becoming a man and dying on the cross. About this we have much to say that is hard to explain, since you have become dull in understanding. There's, there's the God's little PC. You're dull. Now, you didn't used to be dull, but you've become dull. Apparently, if you're not growing, you're digressing. And so now the, uh, the author tells these Hebrew Christians that he'd like to go into this topic a whole lot more. There's a whole lot more he'd like to say, but he can't say it because they're not ready for it. They Truth, they can't handle the truth. They can't handle the deep stuff. They're still infants. They're dull in understanding. How would you like that if I stood up here and said, you know what, you guys, I have so much more to preach on, but you're all pretty dull. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> well, that's what God's doing here. It's like, it's one of the things I love about God. Okay, verse 12, he can get away with it. If I did it, you just find a different church. Okay. Verse 12. But you can't find a different God. For though by this time, listen to this, for, that, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to still teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God, the word of God. By this time you ought to be educating other people and you still need to be educated. Not only that, but in the very basics of the faith. So really the ABCs, we're still on that same old stuff. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food, the meat, is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice. For those whose faculties have been trained by practice. The word there for practice literally means continual application. 
The more you apply stuff, the more fine-tuned it gets, the deeper it gets, the deeper you get, the more of it you can handle. That's what solid food is for, for those who have, who, who, uh, whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 6, listen to this. Let's move on towards perfection. The word there means to complete this, tilao, to, to complete, to fulfill. Let's complete this process of growth. Leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ and not laying again the foundational, the, the foundation. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Instruction about baptism and the laying out of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The ABCs of Christian life. Can we get beyond that, the author's saying? Do I have to keep on doing Sunday School 101? How do you get saved? Can we move on and start getting a little bit deeper uh, in this stuff? He says, we'll do that, verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. The basic teaching here, the basic, the central foundational point that the author is making is, is this. And this is what I want to speak on. Growing is natural for the Christian. Growing is natural for the, in the Christian life. In fact, growing is necessary in the Christian life. And I think it's got a huge, huge message for us today. So much so that I want to stop here for a moment and just uh, ask the Lord to, to superintend this whole thing. And ask that he'd sprinkle it with his grace without compromising any of the conviction uh, that it's supposed to be uh, delivered with. So pray with me here. Father, thank you for your word and I thank you for your boldness in confronting us in the places that we need to be confronted. I pray, Lord God, that that boldness and the urgency of growth would, would be replicated here in the words that I'm going to say. I pray, Lord God, that you would go forth with your spiritual power and your spiritual energy. Lord, I pray that it would have your anointing on it and would find a resting place in our mind and in our heart. Holy Spirit, be working as the word goes forth to, to make fertile ground out of our minds and fertile ground out of our hearts. And Lord, make out of us the army that you want us to be. And so Lord, take this message and, and apply it individually however it's supposed to be applied. Gracefully where grace is ne necessary and harshly where harshness is necessary. But in all this, be glorified. Have your way. Do your thing. Make your army. Bear your fruit. Build your kingdom. That's your job, not mine. I surrender. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all the kingdom people said, Amen. Growth is necessary. Growth is natural. Two points on this. One has to do with our life in general. One has to do specifically with our Christian walk. It's hard to separate those two because our life is our Christian walk. But one is more general than the other. The first point is this. We need to understand the principle behind this verse is that it is necessary to life, to any living thing, to be in the process of growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. In all of our life, for as long as we live, as long as we've got a mind and a heart and, and, and air to breathe and limbs to walk or, 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 or not, we are to be growing. Life is about growth. Here's a great example of what I'm talking about. Last week, there was a guy here named John who graduated from Bethel Seminary, which is an impressive thing to do. Graduated from Bethel Seminary. What's really impressive about John is that he is 91 years old. They graduated at the age of 90. John, are you here? He was going to go back to Illinois. I, I'd like to just give you a hand. I, I think he was leaving. This guy was great. This guy was great. 91, sat down. He wanted to talk theology out there in the visitor room. I finally said, you know what, I'd love to do this, but I've got to meet some other people. This guy just wanted to, 
He was just so excited about learning and growing and this book that he read and that book, and he wanted to discuss the sermon and, and, and whatnot. And, and the thing is this. He understood this, that God doesn't sit around. There's no time in life to sit around waiting to die. As long as you're alive, there's a reason why you're alive, and part of what it means to be alive is to be growing, is to be learning, is to be expanding, is to be you know, finding new things and, and growing in your relationship with God and growing in your relationship with others and, and, and using the mind that God gave you and the voice that God gave you and the body that God gave you and the friends that God gave you and to be growing in all of that. And here's a guy who's 91 years old, and he's fresh, and he's still growing. And that's what it's all about. Somewhere... Someone came up with a very, very wrong idea that growth is for the youth. Who was it who said this very profound statement? Huxley, I think, says it's so sad that youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> it's a true thing, that, that youth is wasted on the young, and they squander it. You know, they got it. But growth isn't just for the youth. We sort of, sort of worship youth in our culture. Being young is great, and being old is sort of that. The bottom line, though, is this. Growth isn't just for youth. We have this mentality that, that it's sort of like you, you grow, you go to school when you're young, you learn when you're young, you try new things when you're young, but then around, I don't know, when it is 20 to 30 to 40 or whatever, you're supposed to sort of settle down. You're supposed to sort of get normal. You're supposed to kind of like, you know, uh, get stable, right? Oh, I hate that word, stable. What a key word. And you're supposed to stop growing. It's sort of like now you've arrived. Now it's coasting time. Now it's coasting time. Now you, you, know, you just sort of pad your own cushion and, and you just go along in life and things get routine and things get normal. And, and you stop pushing the envelope. You stop being radical. You get normalized, center of the road, status quo, just coasting on in life. We got this thing called retirement. I rebuke retirement. I mean, it's fine. Amen. You know what? Our culture is so screwed up on this. Most other cultures understand that when you're done with house responsibilities and kid responsibilities, now is your productive years, okay? Now is the time you really start to grow. And they, they reverence the aged, the gray-haired ones, because of the wisdom they're accumulated and what they can do with it. In our culture, we have this idea that when you turn 62, you're kind of done being productive and you're supposed to just fish the rest of your life. <laughs> it's a lie. It's a lie. What we got to see here is that in Christ, there's we got work to do. There's things to do. There's jobs to do. There's no time for coasting. There's no time for just having arrived. There's no time to stop growing. Sometimes people stop growing for other reasons. They stop growing because they've been wounded or hurt or disappointed or discouraged in life. Things didn't turn out the way they thought they were going to turn out. They had big dreams and major aspirations when they were young, and it just didn't pan out, and so now they're just surviving. Life really bites, and I, you know, I was going to be this, but now it's too late. Too late to go to school. Too late to get this job. Too late to go after that dream. So now I'm just surviving. And quiet desperation is the English way, Pink Floyd said. Living on in quiet desperation is the English way. It's also the American way. This, there's a sadness that you carry with you. That's from the album Dark Side of the Moon. I have no idea why it came to my head right now. <laughs> breathe. Breathe in the air. <laughs> Don't be afraid to care. Go. Get out of my head. Leave, but don't leave me. Okay, you missed the starting gun. Ten years have left behind you. No one told you where to run. You've missed the starting gun. Life is passing you by, and you're just kind of going on, and you're discouraged. Wounds. Maybe you're married, and you're not happy with your marriage. You thought it was going to be so love and passionate and great, and now you're just sort of like, here we are. And you, know, you had no idea it was going to be so hard, did you? You had no idea. No one told you this. 
No one told you how tough it was to raise kids, and no one told you how credit cards can eat away, not only at your pocketbook, but at your brain. And, and, and no one told you how difficult it was going to be, and so now you're just sort of surviving, hanging on. Sometimes people have wounds because their marriage just blew up. And you had all your eggs pinned in one basket, and all it blew up, and part of you just died when that died. And now you just feel like a second-class somebody who's going along just surviving. And some people, their whole life is spent just surviving, sometimes because of wounds that were done to them when they were just little, little kids. And, and they struggled with it, and they hoped to get freed from it, but here you are, 35 years old, and you still got the same old junk in your head, and you wonder, am I ever going to be free? And so now you're just surviving. And what we've got to just see, in Jesus' name we've got to see this, is that life is not about just surviving. At least not life in Christ. Amen? Life in Christ is, 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 is not about just surviving. It's not about coasting. It's not about just getting by. It's not about just keeping things stable. It's not about living in a secure way. It's not about living in the center of the road. Life in Christ is about passion. Amen? Life in Christ is about zeal. Life in Christ is about being dynamic. Life in Christ is about being radical. Life in Christ is about being more than a conqueror in Jesus' name. There's no room for just coasting or just surviving. That's not what Christ came to save us for. He came to save us to live. As long as we got air, we got to live. Push the envelope. Grow. You know, I, I, this summer, I, I shared, I've been sharing with you the last couple of weeks about how this summer has been a real topsy-turvy time for me. Uh, God is, I, I just, I don't even know how it had started, but, but I, I just have been just getting real with myself and getting real with everything about me. And it's been a tough time. There are seasons of life that are like that. Christianity is not all a Yahoo, whippy do everything, Scooby-Doo time. <laughs> it is that sometimes. Especially in 50s dances, be there. But there's times where it's, it, it's supposed to be tough. That's how you grow. So, I, I, in, fact, in fact, it was really something that this last, uh, this is a little incidental caveat, but on Wednesday morning, I, the Lord just woke me up at 3 in the morning, does that once in a while. Um, in fact, sometimes he keeps me up all night long. And it was either the coffee or the Lord, but last night I had one of those times. I am going on zero here. Um, but I'm feeling great, so praise God. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, on Wednesday morning, I, was just, I met the Lord out on my back, back porch, and uh, it was so beautiful out. The moon was just making everything glow, and it was just, it was like mystical. It was just God's painting. And I just started talking to the Lord, and there was, there was just a sense of, ah, I can't explain it. It was like this burden that I've been having all summer long just sort of lifted. It was like, it was like, Okay, that's done. <laughs> and I hadn't even noticed really the burden that much until it was lifted. It's like, whoa, thanks for showing up again. I really appreciated that. You know, where have you been for three months? But, but it was a good time. Thank God for that. One of the things that the Lord dealt with me on had to do with my marriage. And, and um, I always get children as okay before I share marriage stuff with you, but I got her okay on this. And let me just share this with you. One of the things I found out was that I had been, uh, and maybe we both had for some time been settling somewhat in our marriage, just settling. It's like you get to the point where you think, well, it's not going to get any better. It's too much work to make it better. Uh, maybe this is all we're capable of. So you settle for it. And so we were kind of locked into fourth gear, and there came a time, and it was just this last time where the Lord said, I want you to go into fifth gear. Yeah, you're surviving. Yeah, you're getting by. Maybe it's even, you could call it good. But you know what? I don't like good. I like great. And so you're sitting there in fourth gear, but there's a part of me that said, and I began to realize this, didn't even really think about this before, been married 18 years, and but a part of me was, was just sort of maintaining, like, 
Well, if I try to shift in the fifth gear, that means we got to say some stuff out loud. That means we have to confront some stuff. That means you got to rock the boat a little bit. That means you got to get into some real messy, thorny issues. And what if she doesn't like me anymore? What if this thing blows sky high? What if, what if, what if? So you settle back and you think, okay, I'm just going to maintain. We're just going to float. We're just going to get by. Da, 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 da. But Jesus Christ does not just get by. And so there came a time, and I don't know how long the Lord was telling me this, maybe for quite some time, or how long the Lord was telling Shelly this. Maybe I just wasn't listening. But there came a time where the Lord said, put your hand on that transmission, and he kicked it. Out of fourth gear into fifth gear. It says, it's time to up the ante here. Don't think that you've arrived in your marriage. There's more to your spouse than you've ever learned, and there's a deeper love than you've ever had. Don't stop trying for that. When you stop trying, you start dying. So the Lord says, go for more, go for more. I want your relationship to reflect more my, 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 my love, the, the love that, that I am throughout eternity. I, I don't want to settle for anything less than that. Don't settle for an adequate marriage when God wants you to have a great one. What I learned was this. Fifth gear is really nice. <laughs> this is great. And praise God, yes. Amen. Amen. But you know what? You know what? And, and, and the, 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 the pain of wrestling with that and struggling with that, out of that came the last two weeks of sermons. About all this love stuff, that just didn't, wasn't, I read, didn't read that in a book, man. That was coming out of my gut because that's where I was at. That's what I was dealing with. I know this. It's almost always painful to grow, but I know that. This. The alternative is death. We're always to be growing. We're always to be uh, uh, striving to have our life more like Christ and our relationships more like Christ and to get deeper in our love and better in our parenting and, and pushing the envelope. Don't start dying. Be growing. So Christ saved us for. The second thing has to do with our relationship with Christ, and that's what the author here is really is, is more intent on. <sighs> Growth is normal. You've got to be growing. So the author says to these Hebrew Christians, Why, what is wrong here? Why aren't you growing? You're still wrestling with who is Jesus. You're still wrestling with how do I get saved. You're still wrestling with basic doctrines about baptism and about laying out of hands and about the final judgment. There's nothing wrong with those questions. There's nothing wrong with foundational stuff. You've got to teach it. But if after a long period of time you're not moving on, your life isn't being transformed, there is something that is wrong. The author is clearly very discouraged because these believers are still infants. And they should by this time be adults who are raising other infants. Growth is normal and necessary in the Christian life. And this is, I think, a huge message for us today. And we just got to let it hit us. We've said it many times, and it bears saying again, that it's hard to find any period in church history that was more addicted to minimalist Christianity than our own. Right here, right now in America. By minimalist Christianity, I mean this. Do the minimum or believe the minimum and just wait till heaven. Come forward, sign a card, I believe in Jesus, and, and now you sit. Maybe you sit in a pew, but that, even that is optional. And, and the idea here is this, that Christianity is some kind of like fire insurance, and the whole purpose is just to keep you out of hell. So you're saved to sit. That thinking is widespread. People staying perpetual infants. They never get plugged into ministries. They never find their gifts. They never understand that they're ministers of God. They never begin to grow. They never move into the deep things of the Word of God. They never experience God all that deeply. They stay perpetual infants. Many times they stay perpetually wounded people who, who are always like just kind of like, ah, oh, you know, I hope I'm loved for free. And I just, you know, gosh, oh, I just don't understand these things. And it's just on and on. They float from church to church. 
And the most, the most significant thing about an infant, if you think, what is an infant? An infant is self-absorbed. And, and an infant is just... <laughs> you know? They, okay, look, there's a time for that. Well, me, I want attention, I need attention, I want to give me, give me, give me, give me, you know, and I'll go to this church because I can get more, and then I'll go to this church because I can get more, and then I go to this preacher because I can get more. Me, 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 me. What's in it for me, bottom line, is me. And that is totally understandable for a season. But then there comes a time when the normal thing is to grow up, and the Lord is just confronting the Hebrew Christians here and then us today with that statement. Time to grow up. The normal process of the Christian life is not to stay in a perpetual state of self-absorbed infancy. The normal process of the Christian life is to begin to grow, to begin to take baby steps and then bigger steps. The normal process of the Christian life is to become educated in the Word of God, to develop a love for the Word of God, to begin to read the Word of God, to grow in your understanding of the Word of God. The normal process of the Christian life, we just got to say it out loud because it's in the scripture, is to become a teacher instead of just a receiver. That doesn't mean to become a teacher out in front of a thousand people. That's a special calling that some people have. But to become someone who can grab, take someone under your wing and walk beside them. And now can start replicating your faith in somebody else and replicating your character in somebody else. You can begin to nurture others. The normal process of the Christian life is not to be forever dependent on others, but to become more dependent on Jesus Christ so now others can depend on you. That's the norm. That's growing in the Christian life. The norm of the Christian life is to grow in terms of how the Spirit flows through you, to grow in hearing God's voice and responding to God's voice, to grow in being used of the gifts of the Spirit, to grow as a minister of Jesus Christ. The norm of the Christian life is to become a minister, a minister who can stand on your own relying upon Jesus Christ, a minister who understands that you are a missionary in a foreign world. You are a guerrilla warrior behind enemy war lines. You've got a job and a ministry to do. The norm of the Christian life is to understand all, to grow to the point where you understand all of your life as being that. Amen. To infuse your job and infuse your relationships and infuse everything that you're about with your Christian faith and to see your life as ministry. The norm of the Christian life is to understand that we are all ministers of the gospel, ambassadors of the Most High. People through whom the Spirit of God is to flow and the love of Christ is to radiate. That's the norm of the Christian life. But somewhere along the line, and it was very early in church history, and it permeates the church today, we got the idea that that's the job of the professionals who get paid, and everyone else's job is to sit and pay them. Wrong, wrong, wrong. I rebuke the idea. It's not of God. I do my part, and we all have a part to do. We've got a role to play. You are a minister of the gospel. And here's the thing. If you think that Christianity is about believing something theoretically and then sitting the whole time, you'll stay an infant all of your life. You'll never move into the joy and the power and the peace and the dynamism that is available to you because of what Jesus did for you. You'll, it's like a baby and you got steaks and lobsters and all this great food all around you, but you're going to be on that one formula bottle all your life. There's so much else that's out there. The norm is to grow, to grow. If you're not growing, there's like a second law. Have you ever heard of the second law of thermodynamics? Everything tends to decay. It's, what a happy thought. But that's the truth of the world. Everything tends to decay. It's true on a spiritual level too. If you think you're coasting, you know what? You're coasting downward. Growth is normal. If you're not applying what you already know, you're getting duller. Now how do you grow? 
There's a lot of things we could say about that. But let me just say this. It comes out of the verse that we read here. Chapter 5, verse 14. Look at it. The author said, Solid food is for the mature who, by, who have been trained by constant use, constant application, by, by practice. They have trained their faculties to discern truth from error. They don't need to always be told that. They can decide good, good from evil, what is good, what is bad, what is true, what is false. They have done that because they've been walking in that. They can discern things. In verse 11 of chapter 6, he talks about being diligent. It's through diligence and constant application. There's a very important principle in the kingdom of God, and, 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 and receive this, okay? It's this. If you're faithful in a little bit, God will make you faithful in a lot. But he'll never give you the a lot till you're faithful in a little bit. You've got to start with where you are at. If you apply the word of God that you know consistently to your life, God will reveal more things about the word of God to you. But you'll never get to second base until you've gone through first base. You've got to start with that. The principle of the kingdom of God is that it's a snowball kind of thing. The more you have, the more you're going to get if you apply what you have. The more you love, the more love you have to love with. The more you give, the more God's going to give you to give. The more you walk in the kingdom, the more the kingdom's going to be available to you. When God sees that you can handle this much, he'll give you this much and then this much. The principle here is this. It's not so much what you know. That is important. We need to learn. We need to be studying. We need to be taking classes. We need to be reading books. Um, but, having said all of that, what's even more crucial than that is what you do with what you know. You can be the world's greatest mechanic having read every book ever written on, 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 uh, on, on cars, but if you never get around to actually fixing one, what good does it do you? Or you can be the greatest expert on, on, on fitness, on exercise, and even go out and buy all the books in the world on fitness and exercise and read them, and maybe even go out and buy a treadmill and a weight machine and have it down in your basement. But if you never get around to actually pumping the stuff and running on the stuff, what good does it do you? Zippo! And if you understand that much, you'll understand the situation of American Christianity here today. Because we are just cram-packed full of knowledge that is utterly useless. Useless, not because it's not good knowledge, but because we don't do anything with it. Somebody say amen. I'm getting lonely up here. <laughs> okay. okay. You know, it, it's, it's like this. We've got, we've, got, um, we've got lexicons and computer programs and dictionaries and thesauruses and, and different versions of the Bible come, coming out of everywhere. And, and uh, we can go to bookstores, we can go to seminars, we can go to this, that, and the other thing, and they are all good. I'm for them. Nothing wrong with that at all. Praise God for them. But the issue is this. When does it start to get into it? When do we start living it? When do we start applying it? It blows me away sometimes to find people who are trying to get into the esoteric things of God's word, the secret things of God's word, but they're still living with somebody and they still got gross sin going on in their life. And it's like, why don't you take care of that before you move on to that? You see what I mean? Knowledge, when it's, when, it, when, it, when it's held by the wrong person, is a very dangerous thing. It can actually screw you up more than it can help you. What the author is saying here is this. You want to grow? Start applying what you know. Take the word of God. Take, take, take what you know and begin to apply it to your family. Begin to ask this question. And you've got to start small. You see, we all so often have big visions. Oh, I want to be, a, you know, I want to see revival. I want to see the sweep the land. I want to see healings. I want to see this, that, and the other thing. And that's great and wonderful. Pray for it. But the question is this, will God give us that unless we first start constantly applying what we have already? This is what growth is about. This is what stretching is all about. 
How's it going between you and God on your finances? Are you being obedient there? Don't trust God for 10,000 souls to you are able to trust God for your pocketbook. Talked to a guy one time who was chasing revivals around the country, and I talked to him, and he said he was going to be a great man of God. He was going to save thousands. He was going to, you know, be used of God. He didn't want mediocre Christianity. No, sir. This guy wanted on fire, whipped up Christianity. He wanted to really have the deep things of God and the Spirit of God moving through him, and it was going to happen, blah, 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 blah. In the meantime, his wife was at home with, with her son, alone all the time, dying, and he's out chasing revivals. And I said to this guy, and I'd say it again today, you want to be a great man of God, stop worrying about the 10,000 and be a great husband. And be a great father. Amen. Let Billy Graham save the 10,000s, and maybe in 10 years, God will start to move in that area. But you first got to take, before you can run a marathon, you got to learn how to take baby steps. And so that is where we are at. Apply what you have. Begin to apply that. Begin to walk in it. Let me say one other word about this, and that is this. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been in the exact same spot for 20 years. Same issue, same everything. And you feel like I just slimed you. And I don't blame you. You probably feel like, oh great, I just got beat up. And now you're thinking, I've got to go find a more grace-filled church. <laughs> that many of you? Cool. <laughs> okay, look it, look it. Let me say a couple things here. Lord, give me the words to say. Um, on the one hand, I apologize for nothing. Um, the Lord maybe is, maybe, maybe what you needed was a kick in the rear, and this is the Lord's drop kick. Sometimes we need that. I just got one. I know what I'm talking about. It's just like, get going. And, if, you know, sometimes we just need that. Boof. The Lord maybe is saying to you, get over it. Sometimes the Lord just says that. So, so receive it. Don't take offense. Don't hear this out of your woundedness. Hear it in terms of truth and let God confront that. A second thing is this. Know that what I'm talking about here is, is it, it's not about God's love for you. Like, God's going to love you more if you get over this. It's rather, it's because God loves you so much, he wants you to get over this. He wants you to get out of this. He loves you too much to, to, to let you be on a bottle all of your life. A third thing is this. There's a time for resting. I believe that. There's a time, I just told a person here last week, do nothing for a year. Just stop, because you're addicted to ministry, okay? And sometimes you need to, to get it for free, to understand that you're loved for free. And, and, and uh, so you just need to do nothing. I'm for that. But know this. There's a time for total bed rest. But that time is relatively short. And the dangerous thing is that it's easy to get addicted to bed rest. Your healing will go so far resting, but after that point, you need to start to walk. And the rest of the healing comes by walking. You know, those of you who had babies, these days you pop it out and 18 minutes later they got you walking. It's like, okay, and now, now let's go on the treadmill. Well, you know, that's part of the healing process. You, we're all, as, as the worship team comes forward here, we are all wounded soldiers. We are all in this. Don't wait till you get healthy before you start doing ministry. Doing ministry is part of how you get healthy. A very important principle to learn. Be asking the Lord, where do I fit in? What would you have me to do? Do you want me to go to a covenant group? Do you want me to take a class? Uh, you know, do you want me to help out here or there or whatever? Be thinking ministry. If you don't go to this church, that's fine. But thinking it with, with your own church. But the main thing is to start moving out and doing things. This is a time to rest. And maybe you're there. And I want to give you space for that. But there's a time also where the Lord is saying, okay, now start, now start growing. Start applying what you know. Finally, having said all that, we've talked enough. We're good at talking. We need to do something. And what we need to do is really the center of everything that we do, and that is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? 
A key component to our growth is learning how to worship God in spirit and in truth, whatever situation you're at. Some of us are way along in the Christian life. Some of us are, are just beginning in the Christian life. Some of us have been infants for 30 years. I don't care right now. What's, what, what, will, it, what will keep us growing, one of the things that will keep us growing is doing something, and that is worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. We need, that's a key component to our growth. It's also, let me say this, important that we keep growing in our worship. That can become another rut. Oh, here we go. I'm going to worship again. That's like a, that's like, that's like a mediocre marriage. Worshiping God, whenever, if, we, if we understand who we're worshiping, it always has this flavor. It's as though this was the first and the last time I'm ever going to worship him. He is worthy of everything. Our goal every time we worship should be this. I want to get closer to God than I've ever, ever, ever gotten before. I don't care what you feel like now, but this should be our goal. I want to grow in the depth of my worship. I want to grow in the abandonment of our worship. And so right now we're going to spend 20 minutes, 25 minutes, just focusing on God, okay? That means putting everything else aside. And I challenge you to make this commitment. Try to worship God more passionately than you ever have before. If you don't feel like worshiping Him, all the more reason to be passionate about it. Because it's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of what is true. And He's worthy of all of our praise.